Welcome to Inside the Road, the podcast where we speak to some of the leading minds in wealth management. In this episode, we're talking about driverless vehicles and the investment opportunities that the introduction of driverless vehicles may present, as well as some of the disruption it may cause. We'll be joined by Ben Hirsch-McShane, who's joining us from Silicon Valley for the first time, someone remotely on the podcast, as well as Adam Eisenberg from New York City will be joining us as well. You may recall um, Ibex, which both Ben and Adam are from, featured in a podcast we addressed earlier this year, where we looked at the investment opportunities coming out of Israel. I hope you enjoy this very thought-provoking subject and access to these two world experts. Thank you. Well, Adam and Ben uh, from Ibex, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. No problem. Now, this is our first uh, remote Inside the Rope podcast, so uh, thanks for being part of it, and uh, let's hope the technology all goes well. Adam, of course, uh, you're both from Ibex, which we have previously featured on the podcast, uh, concentrating on the uh, Israel Opportunities Fund when we had Jason in Sydney, Australia earlier this year. I wonder if we could kick off, if you maybe just give us a, an overview or an update uh, at a very high level of that Israel Opportunities Fund and how, the, how that's traveling, please. Sure, sure. Thanks, David. Uh, so in terms of the Israel Fund and the opportunities that we see, you know, we're, we, I don't think we can be more bullish than we've seen in a long time. Uh, there's been quite a bit of M&A activity that's starting to percolate. We've seen, um, obviously, last year, one of the biggest in Israel's history was Mobileye being being purchased by Intel for $15.6 billion, obviously putting that front and center within the, the autonomous uh, space and obviously a major commitment by, by Intel to, to play that, that area in a really big way. Uh, we've also seen a lot of other, other companies starting to uh, kind of follow suit and uh, really get excited about uh, the opportunities. Predominantly, we're seeing a lot of the big multinationals um, that are that are really um, entering the space. You also you also have quite a bit of activity that's been um, pretty public by um, SoftBank and and their their major fund, mega fund. So I think I think that Israel should continue to grow at a very very strong, healthy clip. And of course, one of the things we liked, particularly around the strategy, was a way to access technology and the oncoming automation and digitalization, but doing it at valuations, which seem uh, to be multiples of earnings rather than very stretched revenue multiples in the hope that earnings will arrive at some date. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th I think you still have a major disconnect and that's what we like about the opportunities there in Israel is that the, the valuations are still at quite a bit of a discount uh, to the US and other markets. And um, you know, until that catches up, we find that the, the opportunities are abundant. Now, you alluded to the mobile eye transaction, which is in the driverless and autonomous space, uh, which is obviously uh, catching a lot of press uh, you know, with, with Elon Musk and Tesla and whether that's going to get there or not, but also with an accident they recently ha had and you know, people questioning how far that has set them back. I think we've got Ben on the line as well, and I think Ben may be based in Silicon Valley. Do you want to maybe give him an introduction um, and we, we can sure. talk a bit more on that space? Sure. So um, I'd say about uh, maybe two and a half years ago, um, we reconnected with Ben Hirsch McShane. Uh, ben worked for a, uh, a firm out in San Francisco called uh, Passport Capital, 
and um, then was there for about six and a half years. Uh, about two and a half years ago, we reconnected with Ben. Ben's actually originally from Colorado. He uh, worked for us for about a year and a half, putting together a very deep dive on the industry, on the autonomous space. And we launched a fund about nine, uh, almost 10 months ago on the industry, focusing on the driverless space, um, probably better called the mobility disruptive space. But uh, Ben is what well, we, we, we like to call him the, uh, the expert on the, uh, or I call him more of a, uh, a driverless uh, encyclopedia. So with, all, with all, all that, I'll pass it over to Ben and he can dig into as deep into the industry and uh, give you some really good color. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, I'm certainly happy to, to uh, address any, any questions you might have or, or, or give you kind of a, a background on where I think we sit in, in this move towards a driverless world. Why don't you kick off with that and give us, um, you know, I, I think sitting here in Australia, a lot of clients, investors sort of say, well, I can see it, but how quick is this going to happen? And is it really going to happen? Uh, is legislation going to allow it, et cetera? You know, one of the things that, that I think is, is a disconnect for people in different places is here in California, there's now 52 companies testing driverless technologies on public roadways. The California DMV just green-lighted those companies to remove their safety drivers uh, once they receive a permit from the DMV and, and test in, in full autonomous mode. So, you know, here, we're, we, I, I see driverless cars on a daily basis. Uh, in fact, I, I chase them around on my bicycle and, and can see uh, how they're addressing problems that, that maybe weren't solvable or hadn't been solved yet six months ago, but are solved now. Um, but I, I think in a bigger way, sorry, go ahead. So Ben, is that, you're, when you're saying driverless, is there no driver in the vehicle at all? That's, that's correct. Wow. Okay. And so, so here we're seeing it, but in other places we're not. Um, and, and so I think that gives, you know, there's a, a disconnect of, of information. Um, but I, I would also say there's, there's something else going on in, in this space. And, and, you know, if we look, take a kind of step back, there's a, there's a revolutionary aspect to this. And that's beginning with the, the in California, pulling driver safety drivers out of driverless vehicles. And, and we think that in the next five years, you're going to be able to sleep in the back of your car on a road trip and, and you know, not stay in a roadside motel, for instance, um, or, or be able to get work done in, instead of sitting in traffic and, and having to focus on the road. And that part is revolutionary and, and it's already started, but we think it's going to spread um, from places like San Francisco and Pittsburgh and Phoenix very quickly to other big cities in the United States and to big cities in, in all parts of the world. Um, that's the revolutionary piece. There's also an evolutionary aspect to this, and, and that is cars are getting smarter and smarter and more connected even before they're becoming fully driverless. If you think about a Honda Accord today versus a Honda Accord five years ago, um, the Honda Accord today has, has several cameras on it. It has a radar system. It, it can do things like automatically emergency brake and stay in the lane or help you park. The Honda Accord from five years ago couldn't do any of that. And so 
that's the evolutionary aspect of it. And we think that that both are are playing out uh, and we're we're excited to be invested in the businesses that are beneficiaries of these big changes in mobility. So Ben, who, who are going to be those beneficiaries of mobility? Um, is it going to be the incumbent automotive players uh, such as Audi and Mercedes? Um, or is it is it going to be the Teslas of the world? Yeah, it's a really good question. And in some ways, I think it's, it's too early to say. So um, that said, Google is winning the race. Google's driverless subsidiary is a, a company called Waymo. Uh, and they have shown their their way ahead of everyone else. Uh, in California, they force you to report your disengagements as you're testing your driverless vehicles on public roads. And the Waymo cars are only disengaging once every 5,000 miles, whereas the Uber vehicles have been disengaging about once every 13 miles. Uh, so for you know the deadly accident uh, that that was quite tragic and happened in Phoenix at the hands of a a driverless Uber vehicle several weeks ago. I'm not sure that everyone should be terribly surprised, unfortunately. At the same time, um, I I think it's it's part of this acceleration of realizing that that Google's way ahead, others are way behind. Um, In addition to that, it can't be the same winners in all parts of the earth. Uh, take, Take China and America even before this recent trade spat, there's no way that that China was going to allow American companies to put driverless vehicles on their roads because of the data they collect and and because of you know the potential to control vehicles from another country. Same thing in America. So the race is still playing out. Google's certainly ahead here. Um, Tesla is is not there on the driverless piece yet. Um, but you know, I don't think you can count Elon Musk out. He, he's done an incredible job with SpaceX, and, and you know, who would have guessed ten years ago that we'd be recycling rockets? So the the race isn't over. Um, but at least here in America, I would say it's it's Google's race to lose. And, and how does Google commercialize that? We've seen how they've chosen to Googleize a lot. Sorry, commercialize a lot of their uh, other intellectual property in a more open fashion than someone like Apple who really likes to own the solution from back to front. Um, how does Google go about commercializing that opportunity? Do they, do they sell Google cars or do they provide an open platform for the existing manufacturers to, to leverage? I think what they're planning to do is provide the, the ADS, the automated driving software for um, auto manufacturers who, who in most cases are likely to become contract manufacturers, essentially. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's more the the Intel inside idea, or or in a software way, you know, the Android piece that they want to own. Um, and if you see how at least the big U.S. manufacturers are trading, you know, GM and Ford and and Chrysler are all trading somewhere around three times EBITDA, which isn't that far off from kind of being a contract manufacturer instead of the people who are going to lead this technological race. So, so Google, I think, wants to be the brains of the operation. Tesla is, is trying to be the apple of cars. So they want to own the hardware and the software 
And what they think that's going to enable them to do is have a platform where people who own their vehicles can then share their vehicles through their own ride sharing network. Um, again, we'll see how successful they are at doing that or not. But, but Google, I think, is going the other way. They want to have the, the brains of the automobile and then partner with OEMs, auto OEMs, who are making vehicles, and then use those vehicles in a fleet format to provide a mobility as a service. And, and they think that that's going to be very disruptive to personal ownership of vehicles. So are you looking at investment opportunities that are ancillary to this disruption? So I've heard figures quoted that Los Angeles has the equivalent amount of car parking space as three times the city of San Francisco. So if you start to think about how car ownership changes, and in Australia, you know, it's very common for people to have two cars um, within a family. If, if it changes and people are using mobility as a service, uh, with and car ownership starts to look very different, almost like software as a service. Um, are you starting to look at some of those ancillary investment opportunities that arise because there's not as much car sp space required, etc.? Yeah, we absolutely are, and and, and things are ha have already started to change in that direction. Um, before before fully driverless vehicles are on the road. Volvo, Mercedes-Benz, uh, and others have already announced that, that starting immediately, they'll be offering subscriptions to their vehicles. So uh, Toyota just announced a, a similar partnership with a company called GetAround. And so, you know, the idea here is personal ownership of vehicles is, frankly, a waste of money. Vehicles in the United States, consumer vehicles, get utilized 4% of the time. They're sitting idly in those parking spots in, in Los Angeles or, or wherever, 96% of the time. Um, so here's most people's second biggest asset behind their house, and it's getting utilized almost not at all. And so there's opportunities right here, right now to disrupt that, that certainly the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world are taking advantage, but also the vehicle OEMs are, and, and the Googles and, and whoever else creates a fully driverless car they're they're looking to really end personal ownership or take a huge piece out of personal ownership going forward. And Ben, um, where do you sit in the propulsion of these? Are these all going to be electric vehicles operating off batteries, or are we still going to see combustion engines? No, we're we're moving to an electric world, and, and no matter what you think about the timeline for driverless vehicles, it, it's it's very clear we're moving to an electrified future. And, and the reason is not a green one, frankly. It, it's about cost curves. Um, so starting in 2019, uh, UBS did a report, and they said if you factor in the cost of ownership, so servicing the vehicle, gas, etc. Starting in 2019, electric vehicles are going to cost the same as internal combustion engines. By the early part of the coming decade, they're going to be the same on a sticker price basis. You think about an internal combustion engine, it has 2,000 moving parts. Versus an electric drivetrain, it has 18 moving parts. It could potentially last a million or two million miles instead of the 150 to 250,000 miles that an internal combustion engine lasts today. So then you take all of that 
and you start thinking about mobility as a service and utilization rates increasing from 4% to, to pick a number, you know, 40% or 60% or 80%, now utilizing that much cheaper to maintenance vehicle makes it cost a lot less right here, right now. So we're, we're moving into an electrified future because of the cost curves of batteries, period. That future is going to be accelerated as we start utilizing um, these automobiles better. So Ben, I think that's a great point you just made there. And I think it's worth reflecting on. I think what you're calling out there is the fact that uh, overall, the, the rough data suggests that most people who own uh, cars at the moment utilize those cars 4% of the time. That is, they sit around parked in their, in their garage um, uh, for 96% for of the time rather than actually being used. Is that correct? That is correct. So, and what you're suggesting is with, uh, you know, autonomous, autonomous mobility as a service um, that we're going to see these vehicles utilization climb all the way up to 80, 80%, which is going to make it a far more efficient, lower cost service that consumers are going to gravitate, gravitate towards. Is that correct? That's correct. And when, when you think about it, you know, when you think about the average American family, they're spending... Twelve, thirteen thousand dollars on this vehicle that they're utilizing four percent of the time. So, if you provide that same family a mobility as a service, and it's not in a you know Uber vehicle with a driver, the driver is the biggest cost in that vehicle. But you remove that person, and it's electric, so the maintenance costs go way down as battery costs continue to drop in price. Well, there could be a, an eighty percent drop in the cost of moving the same number of miles in this driverless electrified future um, compared to what people pay currently. So what, what I would submit to you, whenever there's a drop in cost that is of that magnitude, um, consumer behavior changes very quickly. And, and the growth rate or the utilization rates of driverless cars as they commercialize is likely to be exponential um, as, as a result of it being much cheaper. And by the way, it's much safer too. There's about 40,000 people a year that are dying on US roadways. Globally, that's 1.25 million. So lots of, of people are, are getting injured. Lots of people are dying. The driverless future might be one where there's, there's 400 or maybe 40 deaths a year. Um, again, whenever something's much cheaper and much safer, and it's going to make consumer behavior change shockingly quick. And I, I think that's the part of, of this phenomenon that, that people and markets are, are bad at understanding and bad at pricing. An exponential change is coming, and, and that's not something that human beings do a really good job of wrapping their minds around. I would touch on two points. I think it's an excellent point. Um, I saw a sound bite when, you know, the news, the sensational news cycle about an autonomous vehicle, somebody dying in one, uh, hit the news cycle here. And, you know, one of the local stations is down in the mall, similar to Union Square. They were in Pitt Street Mall, you know, asking 10 people what they thought. And, of course, you know, oh, no, I could never get in a driverless car. I'm not, I'm not trusting a robot, etc. And one person just came on and very casually said, well, they only have to be better than humans. 
and, and it's going to be better from a safety point of view. And I think that was a very telling remark. And I take your point that once the, the cost becomes very compelling, you're going to see people gravitate to it as well. The other point I'd like you to maybe comment on is, you know, during the global financial crisis um, nearly 10 years ago now, uh, in the recovery from that, one of the economic policies the Australian government provided was um, you know, to provide a $600 tax rebate or grant to lower income earners. And we saw a huge uptick in consumer discretionary goods and flat screen TVs and hoteliers and gaming and, and so forth. There must be a, a large economic benefit if you're talking about 13,000 US, and I think in Australia, if you talk around 16 to 20,000 in cost of ownership per vehicle, uh, for families, it must be a huge injection to the to the economy if that sort of savings after tax or in expenses is injected back into the economy. Absolutely, this is going to be the equivalent of the biggest tax cut in in American history, and I, I think that's that's going to be true across a number of nations. You know, I mean, you think about places where where GDP runs you know, thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year, giving somebody back ten thousand dollars, that's that's enormous spending power. And then you layer in, you know, it's not just that forty thousand people are dying. There's there's big ramifications of that obviously in GDP numbers. There's mm -hmm. also two hundred fifty thousand people in the United States going to the hospital every year. There's huge costs associated with the healthcare with the 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 missed work. Um, so there's there's some additive layers there, but you're absolutely right. If you give people back $10,000 a year and they can still get around the same way they did before, that's going to be a huge boost for economies. Um, and you touched on something too that, that I think people don't understand when they see you know, a, a death in a driverless vehicle or a death at the hands of a driverless vehicle. The day that that person died in America, there was probably a hundred other people that died across the country. That did not make national news. It did not make international news. Um, but but this did because because it's new and and some people you know are afraid of, of ways that the world might change. Uh, it doesn't mean that driverless vehicles are unsafe. In fact, Elon Musk's Teslas, when they're utilizing autopilot, um, you know, there's been studies out there that have shown they're they're 50% plus safer than human drivers who now more than ever are, are looking at their phones and are texting and are quite distracted in this kind of 24-7 connected world that we live in. Yes, I've heard the comment saying that, you know, the, the children of the future will only be driving cars for recreation purposes as they do dirt bikes or similar now. Um, ben, in your mind, are the big winners in this, the large corporates that you've spoken about, such as Google and Waymo, uh, Uber, etc., or can you see some small startups coming with, you know, really powerful technology in niche areas that will also win uh, to a smaller scale, maybe? I, I think it's going to be a mix of both. And, you know, if you look at what we're investing in, it's, it's really a, a broad mix uh, of both those things. I think there's some small players that have some really interesting niche technologies. You know, as I said, I think Waymo's ahead in the driverless race. If you look at a company like NVIDIA, um, they have 325 partnerships 
in the automotive space. And, and whoever wins the race, they're, they're likely to be um, part of that chip supply. So, so there's that. There's also small companies with, with niche sensors or with really um, interesting technologies to create more efficiency out of electric vehicles. So I think there's going to be a mix. I also think that this is going to reshape the landscape of various nations in ways that, that maybe other people aren't thinking about yet. But, but consider this. If, if you go to Europe, um, the cities look and feel a lot different than if you come to America. And a lot of the reason for that is the European cities were built during a time when walking and, and horses were the way you got around, whereas the American cities were, were built when automobiles came around. Um, so when you change the main means of transportation, you, you change a lot more than just you know, the companies that are either the beneficiaries or the, the losers of those transformations. You, know, you, also, you also make it so the, the people owning that prime real estate in Los Angeles can redevelop it. Um, you make it so screen time is increased greatly and, and the digital marketers finally have what they've always wanted, which is a melding of the digital world into the real world. So there's, there's lots of ramifications that we can talk about. You can go further than that and say, hey, in times past, if you were going to drive from San Francisco to Las Vegas, maybe you stopped at a roadside motel. But if you're sitting in the living room on wheels now you have dinner and, and you sleep in your car and, and you're no longer stopping. So, you know, the, the rabbit holes run wide and run quite deep. And I think the changes are going to be quite shocking to the people who haven't thought about um, how big they might be. Ben, I think you're, you're right when you're talking about uh, how cities have evolved and been built, depending on the period of their evolution. Uh, I, I was thinking front and center of Los Angeles. Um, which was really built all around the automobile um, or the traditional one as, as we know it now. Well, look, thank you very much for that. That's been uh, really insightful. Um, once again, we really enjoy the insights from uh, the IBEX group. So, Ben, thank you very much for participating in Inside the Rope and Adam as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And next time you're in Sydney, make sure you stop in. Will do. Thank Absolutely. you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.